Good day, and welcome to the University of Minnesota Agronomy and Extension Podcast, Minnesota CropCast. I'm your host, Dave Nikolai, with the University of Minnesota. I'm an extension educator in crops, and my co-host today is Dr. Seth Nave, University of Minnesota Extension Specialist in Soybeans, and we are very lucky to have uh, really two uh, esteemed guests here, veteran agronomists, uh, plant pathologists, etc., that are from the University of Minnesota. Uh, and first, our guest is Dr. Uh, Jeff Coulter from the University of Minnesota. He's a corn extension specialist in the Department of Agronomy. And also, Dr. Dean Melvick is extension plant pathologist in corn and soybeans from the plant pathology department on St. Paul campus. And Seth, I'm going to let you kick it off. Sure. Sounds good. So um, I, what we'd like to talk about today is about variety selection. Um, for us in the universities, it seems a little bit early, but we know that farmers are making these decisions right now. The old, um, you know, the old saying is uh, the seed dealers are out riding around in combines with farmers, um, helping them choose varieties right now. And I don't know if that's physically tr- true as much as it was in the past, but certainly, um, you know, this uh, getting out and getting choices made and, and getting in line for some of these uh, better varieties and hybrids is really being pushed on farmers now. And um, there's a lot of emphasis put on uh, making decisions early to make, um, to get better deals, uh, bundle these things with other other products and services, um, and get access to some of the better varieties and hybrids. So we thought it was a good time to just hit this at a very high level and talk a little bit about variety selection uh, now rather than um, in in January and February when we usually do after farmers have made a lot of those choices. So, so that's why we've invited both of uh, these uh, folks in today to talk about that. So I guess I'll turn it right over to Jeff and, and ask uh, Jeff what his thoughts are on, on picking corn hybrids and what farmers really should be looking for and some of the challenges uh, as they start making those choices, uh, especially this time of year in those early selections. Yeah, well, thanks, Seth. Um, you know, variety selection or hybrid selection for corn is probably one of the most important agronomic factors that's going to affect yield. Uh, the yield difference among the hybrids that are on the market today range from 30 to 50 bushels per acre assuming that you've got all of your other factors such as fertility and pest control, uh, you know, being taken care of. So it's really important to do a good job on selecting your hybrids. At the same time, the rate of genetic yield improvement for corn grain is about two bushels per acre per year. And what that means is that on average, the yield of the new hybrids that are coming out that just came out this past year on average is going to be about two bushels per acre higher than the yield of the new hybrids that came out the year before. So in general, we want to be, you know, staying ahead of the curve and, you know, choosing new varieties as they come out. But we have to also be careful not to um, get too excited and choose all new varieties that we don't have uh, information on. Uh, Generally, what I say for farmers at this time of the year, when they're trying to be making decisions on which hybrids to choose, you know, oftentimes there's not a lot of data available. Um, You're you're choosing your hybrids in some cases without any yield data because this was the first year when they're being commercially grown. So generally what I tell farmers is I prefer at this time of year before harvest is complete, if you're making your hybrid selection choices, make sure that at least 50% of your acres are based on hybrid 
you're choosing hybrids that have at least two years of data on them that you can look at right now. And that you have at least 25% of the acres that have at least one year of hard data on them now. And then you could have another 25% of your acres that you don't have any data on yet, except for preliminary results from the company. And then uh, after harvest is done, then you'll have a year of data that you can look back on as well. And um, another thing is, you know, when we're choosing hybrids prior to harvest and we don't have a lot of data on them, in many cases, we do have the opportunity to look back at the yield results from this year and make adjustments. You know, so if we say buy half of our acres uh, on from one seed company and we choose uh, uh, several hybrids and then it comes after harvest, we look at the yield result data from different trials and then we see that, well, maybe one of the hybrids that we chose wasn't a top performer. In many cases, um, we have the opportunity to switch that to something else if we're able to make those uh, changes quick enough in the game. Um, another thing to think about is how many hybrids are you choosing for your farm? On one hand, that depends on the number of acres that you have, but it is good to have a, a, a little bit of a range in terms of relative maturity that you're using. Um, if you're spreading out the relative maturity, that spreads out the time when the critical period is occurring in the corn. So the critical period for yield determination in corn is the second half of July and the first half of August basically right around tasseling. And if you got a little bit of a range in relative maturities, that's going to spread that out a little bit and reduces the risk of having hot, dry weather occurring at pollination and having all of your hybrids pollinating during those unfavorable conditions. Also, if you got a range in relative maturities, that gives you a little bit of flexibility in case planting is delayed, which is often the case in Minnesota, at least recently with the uh, abundant rainfall we've been getting early in the season. And it also gives you a little bit of flexibility on harvest timing. So um, those are some things to be thinking about. Um, other factors are where are you getting your data? So obviously the seed companies that you're buying from are probably going to have the most data on the hybrids that you are looking at. Um, that's a great place to start, but it's also good to validate that information by looking at the results of independent trials, such as university hybrid trials in your region, also at um, results from other independent uh, testing groups, such as FIRST, or um, sometimes the co-ops um, or elevators have, uh, you know, their own set of uh, test plots that they're doing, and that those results are, are readily available. So it's good to get information from a variety of sources. Jeff, what uh, I, the I... other thing is, Oh, go ahead, Dave. I, I was just going to ask you real quickly here, kind of interject in here. Can you, any comments about um, environments? Uh, we talk about locations and so forth. And yeah, you might have a company's plot or a plot in your backyard or within, you know, 20 miles. Anything that you want to talk to uh, about in terms of, if you're going to be looking at a particular variety in terms of number of locations where you might get some yield data, whether it's, maybe it's too early now, but it might be a little bit later here, uh, th this fall in order to get a better handle on things. In other words, um, if we think about, you know, yield by location, by, by environment to try to get a better picture, so to speak, rather than something that's, that's too local. Yeah. Thanks, Dave. And I should also step back and mention, you know, like the, uh, the grower associations, for example, the Minnesota corn growers association right, has right. Uh, excellent, uh, variety and hybrid trial system 
online and you can pull down data from different hybrids and look at different environments and stuff. So that's, that's a really good tool as well. Uh, and the thing is, is, you know, if you can get data from multiple independent unbiased sources of information and, and combine that with results from the companies, I think that's going to be probably your best bet. In terms of environments, we need to think about what were the environments when and yield levels where those uh, trials were done. So for example, if this year you had a trial that was done under unusually dry conditions and had low yields, you may not want to think you know, have think too highly of that trial in terms of how it, how well it may predict for next year, uh, especially if we're not anticipating similar conditions for next year. Um, that being said, if we have trials that are not unusual unusual in terms of their yield level or or stress, you know, um, then we probably want to look at the av- look at those trials in general, um, and. You know, we can't really predict what the weather is going to be next year. So kind of what we want to do is look for hybrids that are top performers in a wide variety of yield environments that we could anticipate having next year. That's probably going to give you the best chance of of being successful. Yeah, I think really what we're talking about is getting the most, the broadest set of data that you can for all those varieties and hybrids that you're really interested in. And I think part of Dave's question, I think, is answered by, you know, a really old study by Dale Hicks years ago where he basically looked at hybrids performance based on locations. And and he determined that you could, if you had multiple locations, that actually predicted yields at your location better than your own location in that particular year. So, for instance, the data from Wasika was informative about Wasika's yields the next year. But it was even better to have data from uh, Lamberton and, and um, you know, the Rochester area, for instance, were more predictive together for that individual location. I think the idea is that we don't know what the weather is going to be next year. And so using just single on-farm data or a strip trial near your farm may be fairly informative, but it certainly shouldn't, shouldn't be something that you rely on solely. Is that, would that would that you'd support that jeff absolutely you know we think about selecting on the basis of yield uh but there are other agronomic characteristics and so forth that we need to take into account obviously besides that and everything from standability uh to dry down uh some of those you know things in economics but even from a disease standpoint dean when we get into corn and and selection and so forth you know, it's going to vary from year to year. Uh, we obviously had a lot of variability. We're drier this year. Um, there was a lot of concern about uh, corn tar spot. At least we we talked a lot about it mm-hmm. and, and so forth. But, you know, things change. And But that doesn't mean that you should, you know, ignore it and forget it here going into uh, 2024. That's right. You know, all the corn hybrids come along with a, you know, a pretty complete trait package, right? And those are pushed and talked about at different levels. And for different reasons, because they are at, at different importance in different environments and different locations. You know, Dave, you just mentioned tar spot. You know, that is a, a newer disease in Minnesota. As I think we all know that is a considerable risk, especially in the southeastern corner of the state. Um, you know, the question is how valuable are the newer hybrids that have some level of, of resistance or tolerance to tar spot? 
mean, the data is coming in saying that they that that level of tolerance or resistance has has some value that really should be considered, especially in those higher risk areas. And uh, but we still have certainly more to learn about that particular trait. But this goes along uh, with other other traits too, like what are the risk factors that you know about in the fields that that you want to put a hybrid into? You know, is stock rut a really prevalent problem? For example. Um, Hybrids are sold, of course, and marketed with different levels of resistance and tolerance. So those are some other things to consider along with the overall yield, of course. You know, there are other diseases, you know, in the past, you know, we've talked quite a bit about Gossa's wilt, um, you know, et, et cetera. Um, there are applications of actually fungicide sold on gray leaf spot, uh, other types of diseases and so forth. But it's always been important, I think, to look at that trait package uh, at the beginning here uh, rather than, you know, just to uh, default to a, perhaps a, a fungicide application later on. I mean, these are important choices. They are. You know, one reason tar spot has become such a problem is because so many hybrids, well, they were all basically susceptible a few years ago. Now, as we talked about, more and more have some level of resistance. Goss's wilt was a huge problem 10 years ago, or 15, almost 15 now, because nearly every hybrid was susceptible to that. And now we have most hybrids having a good level of resistance. And, but we still have problems with that disease in the northwest and west central part of the state. And so we can't forget about those traits, even though the disease might be at low levels. Um, anytime we put a susceptible hybrid out in some places, we may be vulnerable. Yeah, maybe I, if I draw, pull this back a little bit to the bigger picture here, if we, if we talk about yield levels and, and testing locations and things like that, I think maybe differentiate a little bit from some of these diseases and, and issues that farmers have routinely or that they expect to have on their farm or from issues that they're just a little bit concerned about, I would say. Uh, my, I guess my argument here is that if, if we had access to a large pool of data for varieties and hybrids, that those yield levels and yield stability levels really integrate all of the disease and um, abiotic stresses across those environments. And so theoretically, yield itself should give us the indication about how a variety would do uh, on a farm, especially not knowing... Um, or utilizing a lot of, you know, historical, you know, incidence data on your farms. On the other hand, if a farmer's had an issue with a disease on their farm, or it's been in their area with something like tar spot, if you're in an area where there's, there's been larger incidence of it, then maybe you just kind of turn up that dial on, on that line on that chart. But I guess my argument here is that in a, in a perfect world without any, you know, without a lot of, um, a lot of uh, challenges on your own farm that just looking at yield is really a pretty good, a good starting point. And to pick varieties and hybrids that have high level of yield stability, we want varieties that yield well over environments. Um, and um, there's always an interest among farmers of, of, you know, being drawn to these varieties that ye that win yield contests or top individual variety trials in individual locations. Um, but I guess I would argue that it's it's unlikely that your individual farm is going to behave quite like those individual locations in subsequent years. And so that that yield stability is also an important factor. And that also plays back to Jeff's comments about new versus existing varieties as well. So 
uh, I don't know how, uh, Dean, how you take that as in terms of um, if I've if I've taken too much of the edge off of uh, the the variety selection for disease with that, but I think it's 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 important thing to at least keep in the background. Uh, just just a brief comment on that. I I think Seth, that's that's correct, but if we don't have yield locations where we have some of those diseases, such as we have, for example, if we only have yield locations from, say, Rosemount, Wasika, and Lamberton, none of those locations have ever had a high level of tar spot. You know, we wouldn't have that information in that yield number. So for many diseases, that I think that's going to work, over, especially over a long time for broad-based, wide-scale diseases. But there are situations where I think we need to look at where the yield numbers come from and make sure the stress, whether it be a disease or maybe insect, you know, that, that it was in that data set somewhere. For sure. I, I totally agree. And I would actually add on to that the, uh, the additional, maybe this is an academic point, but the additional point on that is that, you know, we don't know exactly what these pools of data for these varieties include. And sometimes locations that get nailed by these diseases get thrown out by companies and other things. So uh, it's really important to know have a good sense for where the variety, where the data comes from. Uh, in some cases, we can swamp a lot of those little issues by having lots and lots of data. Uh, but but for farmers that really want to dive into that, they really need to know the quality of of the data and where those where those tests were done and and what kinds of um, disease and and other pest pressures they had or abiotic pressures they had in those locations. And I think that goes along, Seth, with the inputs that they have in those testing locations and so forth. But I think you're both right in in terms of Dean talking about individual field situations, know your field history, you know, what things were present, what kind of drainage and so forth, you know, taking notes in the spring, taking notes on the combine, all those those types of things uh, that go along with it. You have to balance you know, both that macro and, and, and micro situation with that. Speaking of uh, looking at everything in here, I think we need to switch over a little bit and talk a little bit about uh, the other crop here in Minnesota and soybeans. And uh, this last week I had an opportunity to uh, venture forth from out to the, the Brown County and Sibley County area and a lot of southern Minnesota. Uh, a lot of our soybeans are harvested, Seth, uh, probably upwards of, you know, 85, 90% in some particular situations with that. Uh, we'll hopefully, I think we'll gain a little bit more here this week because of the uh, the drier weather. Uh, but um, what do we need to think about for uh, 2024, uh, both on uh, what I would call the macro situation here in terms of, of yield, not only from yourself, but in areas, but also on your individual situations with uh, with Dean as well. So uh, any comments, Seth? Yeah, I, I guess for from a soybean standpoint, everything that Jeff offered before on corn works for soybean. I think it's I and I I think the soybean questions really we could push um, push back to Dean on and talk about specific um, specific uh, disease resistance packages to look for. Um, but I would maybe since I have the soapbox, I would like to take the opportunity to you know reemphasize a couple points that Jeff made that were really really interesting. One is this. I, I think this is really critical, uh, especially as we think about how we make decisions and choices as as individuals or as farmers. You know, this risk-benefit decision around new varieties versus existing varieties is really a critical one. And and Jeff had two really, really good points. One is that there's a small incremental yield increase for, for new varieties that that a farmer will achieve by just selecting a new variety will get us a couple points 
of yield improvement just by picking from a pool of new varieties. So that's, that is good. That's there. But the variation among those in terms of their yield potential is huge. Um, and so, um, uh, we, you know, the risk of choosing uh, a dog out of those is, is actually relatively high, especially in new varieties. So not only is there a wide range of yield potentials among varieties, but the yield potentials among the newest varieties, I would argue, is probably even wider because there hasn't been any um, attrition or any dropouts from those. So um, just like with corn, I think it's really important to select, you know, select a few um, new ones, but then go back to the ones that have been tried and true. And I really, really appreciate Jeff's comments about really going at this in an analytical kind of way, like you do your, your um, grain marketing and, and identify what, you know, what portion of your farm do you want to grow some varieties or hybrids that are, are really have done well for you over a couple years or that there's good data on for several years or that have really done well for you. You know, choose another portion of your your crop that um, that you're willing to kind of look at some other ones, and then you know I would even go so far as that 25% that Jeff was talking about some new varieties. Maybe maybe on your own farm do some strip testing and things like that. Use that as an opportunity to test the newest ones and look at a, a range of those. I think it, in my perspective, I a little bit of from a conservative view, I would rather choose a number of new varieties rather than even going with one or two new ones. And Dave has a comment about that. Well, actually, I was going to turn it back to Dean here a little bit. I know we had a good year in terms of some of the uh, soybean harvest. We were fairly rapid here going into October. Um, not as much of a disease situation. Human nature is we always remember what happened most mm-hmm. recently. But, you know, thinking ahead here for 2024, I mean, we've had other years and things keep coming back. So, what are some agronomic traits uh, if you're going to be selecting and on from a soybean variety standpoint? Even though you might have had, you know, uh, fairly good yields and we had variability with rain, but what are some things to keep in mind in that selection criteria? Yeah, yeah, Dave. A, a couple of things. You know, with dry weather, dry weather doesn't favor a lot of diseases. I think we know that there are a few diseases that are favored, but they tend not to be as prevalent and damaging overall as, as some of the others. You know, we have you know some of the big ones certainly would be that we didn't have wide-scale problems with, although there were, there were scattered outbreaks, white mold and sudden death syndrome and brown stem rot and phytophthora, for example, soybean cyst nematode. You know, those are all significant issues in some fields in some years, sometimes over more than just a few fields. And, and all of them need to be considered. And I think we all know some fields that are especially prone to white mold, for example. Now, variety selection will never be a, a complete solution to that, at least not in a few years, but choosing a more resistant variety to that disease is beneficial in many years. It can help protect some of the yield. And we can spread that same comment across a lot of different diseases. And again, the, back to that central point that we talked about is, you know, what are the particular diseases or issues that a particular farm or field has? You know, if we know that, you know, we can be better able to, you know, pinpoint and, and dial up, as, as Seth said, that the, the variety selection based on some of those traits that are more important. Well, I think that's important. I know with some of the things that we've come to the surface here the last year or two, we talked a little bit about Phytophthora. I know in, in a lot of meetings and certain traits on there, um, there's certainly SCN in uh, situations. And of course, in Minnesota, uh, Seth, we've got iron chlorosis uh, in the western part of the state. So a lot of these things, you know, you can look at a macro standpoint, but 
there's a lot of micro field by field situations to make that final choice. Is there not? For sure. And I actually like this, you know, you bringing up IDC as a good example of something that we, and then white mold. I think there's a continuum of challenges that farmers have that they, it's kind of binary. They either have it or they don't have it, or they know they've got an issue or they don't. And I would include both IDC and and white mold, uh, sclerotinia kind of on that side of the spectrum. And Farmers are really, you know, they're really aggressive about getting varieties that they can help avoid those problems. On the other end of the spectrum, we have things like uh, SCN, where farmers rarely know whether SCN caused them yield loss or not. Um, and so they really have more of a difficult decision on selecting varieties and, and how to look at those resistance sources. But um, I think that's something that you know, farmers have to, again, dial up or dial down their, you know, sensitivity based on, on what they've got. But I guess my, my point here is those things in the middle, maybe farmers need to be more, stay better tuned to those things and do more scouting so that they know what issues that they've got so that they can, they can make decisions uh, on those. There's no reason to choose a variety uh, for some disease that you uh, you as a farmer might think you have, I think it's important to choose among those variety those those um, those diseases that you either know you have or or you feel that there's a, a large uh, uh, chance that you're going to have yield loss from those. So, Dean, anything that you want to point out that is a particular interest or possible concern in 2024? Obviously, we don't know. Mm. Uh, the weather and things, we can do some things and, you know, test the soil yet for SCN. But uh, anything else that's surfaced in terms of uh, diseases or things that might be moving into Minnesota? Yeah, not, nothing really new uh, that, that we know about. You know, one thing that we haven't seen, for example, in much of the last two, three years is frog eye leaf spot, a leaf disease on soybean. That is particularly problematic in the southern half of the U.S., but certainly has been moving north. And, you know, before our last two summers, this was an increasing problem in Minnesota that, that we need to pay more attention to, I think, because it can be a significant yield, yield problem in times in some fields. So there's, there's one, but we can't forget about all the others that have been here for, for a very long time because they are all still here. And we need not to forget about them and, and keep doing what we can to manage them to lessen whatever impact they might have. Well, we're closing in on the end of the podcast here, Jeff, and just any comments? We talked a little bit about, you know, the uh, hybrids and the fact that, you know, typically they're not around for a long time. Maybe some people say two to three years. It's all kind of variability in terms of on the marketplace. But any comments about rotation, um, even if you're corn on corn, but in situations with that, um, if if you find a, a good yield, or so to speak, on on your own farm and, and so forth, it's, it's not a necessarily a guarantee, even if you're going to stay within that same company, but um, things to think about in, in terms of that if you don't have a lot of yield data. Yeah, well, obviously, like previous crop is going to have a big influence on what the optimum uh, hybrids would be. Um, but one thing that was mentioned earlier, which I think is really key, is when you don't have a lot of yield data and you're choosing hybrids based on that, and you find one that performed particularly well in a given trial or two trials, it can be very tempting to choose that hybrid. But I've seen multiple times where those high-yielding hybrids that you're choosing based on limited yield data, they end up requiring special management 
And if you put that in a given field, it may not do quite as well as you anticipated. And often what we see is that after a couple of years of yield data, uh, the companies notice, okay, this hybrid had uh, was susceptible to these diseases, or you know it has special management regarding population uh, or lodging risk or sensitivity to herbicides or something like that. So um, you know, as Seth was indicating with the high variability in you know instability in of the those hybrids in terms of how they perform across multiple environments, um, you know, we really need to, to think about that and just be cautious, you know, and uh, maybe limit the, the amount of acres that are based on uh, new hybrids that have limited yield data on them and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. I think, And talking with your company reps is also going to be important because there may not be a lot of hard yield data on them, but they've seen those hybrids perform in the field and they know or they, they've had firsthand experience with them. So they may be able to give you information that is per se not in the book or that you can't find online. Um, and that can be very helpful. Yeah, I think um, uh, Jeff has a really good point there about um, the back to this yield stability question. I guess I would argue that 2023 is a perfect example of a year where if those farmers that chose varieties that had high yield stability were probably the winners and those that chose varieties that just had this great yield potentials in previous tests, um, those those may not have been the winners this year. I think a lot of the surprising yields that we saw this year were because of variety and hybrid resilience to the stress. Um, and that's that's really, you know, bringing up the bottom side of those yields uh, rather than uh, from the top. I, I'm a big proponent of choosing high yielding varieties and hybrids, but um, I think it, you farmers can go too far with that. And, and I think, again, this year was a good example um, uh, of that. I want to make one other really quick mention here is that uh, as Dave and I were talking about a topic for today, we decided that we would you know, focus on the bigger sides of this. And there's, there's going to be time for us to talk about um, insect traits in, in corn. I think that's worthy of a full, um, full podcast. So we're going to definitely be talking about this over the next uh, few weeks or months. Uh, and, and likewise, SCN um, resistance in soybean is another topic that we just can't can't brush past. Uh, it needs to needs to have more focus put on it, and then probably we'll do something on IDC as well later. So maybe I'm over promising here, Dave, but I think those are those are topics that we'll definitely be visiting here in the next couple months. We'll keep those in mind as we close out. I just want to mention that uh, the University of Minnesota Extension uh, website in the crops area um, that are authored both by Seth and and Jeff and and, and Dean has a wealth of information, a little bit about uh, uh, the yield harvest and in terms of uh, um, making those selections and varieties and so forth. Uh, that's a, a very good uh, stop if you haven't had a chance to visit that already. Yeah, and the variety trials itself, so the University of Minnesota variety trials is simply variety trials, one word, dot U-M-N dot E-D-U. So variety trials dot U-M-N dot E-D-U. Uh, good place to start. Uh, but I do want to repeat that farmers need to go out to a, a number of places to get their resources, not just from the companies, not just from the University Variety Trials, not just from FIRST, uh, not just from their county plots, but um, across, all those, um, across all those platforms. 
Well, thank you very much, Seth. We want to really thank our guests uh, taking time out of their day uh, to visit with us a little bit about in terms of variety selection. So again, they are Dr. Jeff Coulter, University of Minnesota Extension Corn Specialist and here in the Department of Agronomy. Also, uh, Dr. Dean Melvitt, who is an Extension Plant Pathologist in Corn and Soybeans, also located here on uh, St. Paul campus. Uh, Seth, thank you. Uh, again, for uh, co-hosting here today, and we look forward to visiting with you folks next time. So thanks again for listening to this episode of University of Minnesota Extension uh, Field Crop Cast. Have a good day.